Hello and welcome to another episode of Venture Deals Review. I'm Kevin. I'm Aaron. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Kevin. You ready for Chapter 12? Ready. All right. So today we're talking about Chapter 12, Raising Money the Right Way. Again, this is our review of Venture Deals, The Smarter Than Your Lawyer and Venture Capitalist by Brad Feld and Jason Mendelson. Very short chapter, Aaron. Yes. No pictures. I, but, but it was short enough that I could finish it. Okay. Yeah. I think you finished it. How long before we started this podcast? Uh, give me two more seconds. <laughs> okay. So this chapter talks about raising money the right way, of which I want to start with something that we do for our clients and something that I think potential clients coming in need to understand about working with their attorneys, specifically venture attorneys. We get requests or questions or comments all the time that say, well, my attorneys you know, didn't raise any money for me or can you guys raise money for me? And there's this misunderstanding out there, I think, but among people who are new to the startup community that the attorneys actually raise money for you. That is not the case. Absolutely not the case. Your attorneys could put you or should put you in a position to raise money, which is what we like to do. And we do that by making sure that your corporate docs are in place, making sure that your pitch deck is solid, giving you advice on how to approach your different types of investors, whether it's friends and family, seed level or institutional, you know, venture level type funds. The best advice we can give an early stage company is more about the pitch, the mechanics of raising capital, reviewing this book, right? Reading this book and listening to our podcast and making sure that our clients are set up to go out and raise capital. Now, we will make introductions when introductions are appropriate, but that's really for later stage companies. Yeah. You know, at the risk of sounding like Jason Garrett, it's about the process. And, you know, going out and raising money is part of the process. It's not fun. That's not why you became an entrepreneur. You didn't like going out and raising money. You went out there because you had an idea and you thought, okay, I can solve a problem. Now, raising money is one of the bad side effects of, of being an entrepreneur, but I think there's a lot of value in going out and taking the meetings and you know pitching to these investors and being told no. And, and so to sort of rely on your lawyer to be the one that's going to go out and find you uh, you know, your series A investors, that's that's not helpful. I agree, Aaron. I think the process part is great. And let's even back that up. So like you talked about researching investors, taking the meetings, going out and meeting with them, but everything it takes to get there, right? You can't have a pitch deck if you don't have a company. And then you can't have a company if you haven't gone and worked it out with your co-founder or put your business plan, you gotten your ideas down on paper, you know, started the process of actually getting a website and a domain name and business cards and all those things that are just kind of the, the initial steps of beginning of starting a business. So all of this is part of the process that is critical to raising money. So I want to be clear, and I know we've talked about this before, but hopefully people are starting to understand how all these things tie into each other. Your first round of, of capital that you're going to raise is most likely friends and family. And that can include yourself, right? Yeah. So a lot of people call it FFNF, right? Founders, friends, and family. And in our part of the world, you know, here in North Texas, the expectation is, to raise, is that you're going to raise at least 50 to 100 grand on your own. I would expect it's higher in Silicon Valley or yeah. in New York, you know, maybe a more well-established venture ecosystem. So that 50 to 100 grand, where does that come from? Now, look, if you're a 22-year-old recent college grad, I realize it might be harder for you to get that. But what investors really want to see is that you have either put your savings into it or a good chunk of it. You took a second job or you're driving Uber and Lyft at night to make money to do this or that you convinced your aunt who had 20,000 disposal dollars 
that it was worth giving you that money. It was worth gambling on you or betting on you as a founder. That sort of validity and credibility really helps to get you through to the next round of funding when you are talking to more sophisticated investors. You know, first you start with friends and family or founders, friends and family. Then you'll go to angel investors or angel groups. And then eventually you'll get to VCs. And I think there's definitely value in putting your own money into it. But I think I think it looks a lot better to outside investors if, you know, the fifty to a hundred thousand dollars that you raise first comes from not your own money. Just because then you're showing, you're demonstrating the ability to get people that aren't yourself to put their own money into it. We want to be able to show that you are a trustworthy or an investable founder. Right. Even if it is your aunt. I mean, that's, that's right. That's fine. It's yeah. It's I almost get expected, it. right? For the early round, right. the friends, family, you know, founders, friends, and family round. That's where it's going to come from. Okay. So raising money the right way. The first point they make is don't be a machine. This might seem like common sense to a lot of you. I think some of you, hopefully, a couple people listening, this will resonate. This just means you got to show the human side. You have a gorgeous pitch deck, an amazing model that you've built out, you know, with your pro formas, your projections, and whatnot. But have a human side to you. Get in there and interact with the investors. Let them know that you have other interests, what your hobbies are. Uh, you know, find the, find a way to connect to them. Maybe it's through family or through sports or through other activities that you do outside of outside of working. Just don't be so robotic and all about. Here's the pitch. Here's the the backup slides or the uh, you know the Excel docs. Here's the term sheet. Are we ready to sign? Listen, I get it. You know, when you're out there raising money, you are trying to project the image that you think the investors want to see. In the long run, though, if that's not who you really are, then down the road, when you know things get get tough and um, you know maybe the company's not doing as well, then I think it sort of sets yourself up for failure. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be the best version of yourself and you shouldn't be on your best behavior. And you know, obviously, you're trying to convince somebody to part with their hard-earned money, and so yeah, you need to take that seriously and and give that the weight that it deserves, but don't try to be somebody you're not. Here's an example. Let's just say that you don't like going to bars. That's just not your deal. And a VC wants to meet up at a bar or restaurant for a drink. It's perfectly okay to just say, that's a little outside of my comfort zone. How about we meet at a coffee shop instead? Or how about we meet at the ball game instead? That is being yourself, right? Let them know who you are because you are forming a partnership. The earlier the stage of your company the longer the partnership with your investor is going to last. So let's let them know who you are up front. They talk about the beer test here. You know, VCs want to invest in someone they can go have a beer with. But that doesn't necessarily mean you have to drink. It just means someone that they can go out and and socialize with. One of our clients, one of our uh, venture clients will not invest unless they have met with the founder at least three times. In the founder's office, in the VC's office, and then at a third place somewhere out in public. And that's how they get to know the investors. I mean, I had to pass the beer test to get a job here. Here, yeah. Yeah, and you pa- barely. Yeah, barely. Got the scores in my well, office. Well, the other, the other two people that were there aren't here anymore. So. And that bar shut down. So yeah. Well, what does that say? I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> okay, next point. Don't ask for a non-disclosure agreement. This is near and dear to our hearts. Do not ask an investor for an NDA. Never. They see too many deals. It comes off as amateur, sophomoric. If you have amazing tech that you are so certain that you cannot put out there in the public, 
then one, you're probably wrong. But in the event that you did invent the next widget that is going to be impossible to replicate unless they're using your technology, then just don't show them the secret plans. Or if you're at that point, why haven't you gotten a patent? Right. Or have a, yeah, have a patent protected. Yeah. So you don't have to uncover everything. And a lot of investors, a lot of newer investors, the first thing they'll say is, sure, send me your financials. Your financials are generally your projections, but let's say you're a later stage company. If you're a later stage company and your financials have a lot of important information on there, don't be afraid to send something that's consolidated or a report. You know, talk to your attorney or a CPA about that. You don't have to send them everything. Just because they ask for it doesn't mean that that's, that's you're obligated to send it. I mean, there are a lot of things that are that you need. They're just necessary. They're necessary conditions getting VC funding, but. You know, if there's something you're uncomfortable sending, run it by your attorney. Talk to your advisors and make sure you're comfortable. And then there's nothing wrong with reaching out to the VC and say, hey, you know what? I'm really not comfortable showing you the schematic of how our technology works, but I can show you the application of it. Right. And then maybe down the road, I'd be happy to show it to you. And I think they'll understand and respect that. You know, worst case scenario, they'll do a technology audit and that'll be just fine. You can, that, that's good. If they're willing to invest in a tech audit, then you're probably pretty far down, uh, pretty far along in the process. And, you know, most of these investors are above board. Um, you know, I don't want to jump into our other podcast too much, but, you know, we, we saw in the show Silicon Valley how they went and pitched that one VC and the entire room was just taking notes right. on what they were drawing on the whiteboard. So most of the investors are not like that. That does not happen. But, yeah, you know, yeah, just just be careful. So this doesn't this is not that big a deal because it doesn't doesn't come up that much. But the times that we have had a new client say, "Hey, should I send out an NDA to an investor prior to investing?" We've always said no. The client has never come back and pushed back or said that I really need to or afterwards said you put me in a bad position. Our counsels to them is always the same. Don't do it. It looks amateurish. If there's something that you're truly concerned about sharing, then let's discuss it. And let's just not present it. As a footnote, same goes for lawyers. Yes. Lawyers will not sign NDAs. Don't ask your lawyers to sign NDAs. Uh, any conversations we have are protected by attorney-client privilege. Uh, even com- in Texas, conversations in pursuit of legal representation are protected. And Aaron and I see half a dozen deals a week, right, from clients, um, outside uh, you know, prospective clients, and then just people that want to pass them along to our investor clients. We see a lot of the same deals, a lot of similar ideas. So yeah, don't send them to your lawyer as well. All right. Don't email Carpet Bomb VCs. They have a very succinct section on this. What we can tell you is do your research on the investors you're reaching out to. Find them on LinkedIn. Find them on Facebook. Find them on Instagram. Find them on, what are some other cool things? Social media Snapchat. things? Snapchat. I, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out what that is. Find them, find something interesting or unique about them or someone you connect to them and then hit that up. Draft a tailored email. You know, the email should be short and it should include a couple sentences about the business. You should have refined that and you should have your business down to one or two sentences. Look, you cannot show everyone everything all at once. The purpose of the email is to get a call. The purpose of the call is to send them a deck. The purpose of the deck is to get a meeting. This is part of the process. Exactly. Right, Aaron? It's a it's process. all about the process. So a couple sentences about your business and then one or two sentences about them personally. I always really enjoy it when someone who reaches out to us, we get a lot of job seekers reaching out to us, Aaron, or prospective clients who are just doing their due diligence and he comments on something he read on my bio page. Right. right? That shows me that they care. Now, do that without being creepy. Right. And this is the sort of thing, Aaron and I help our clients with these things. Reach out to your advisors, reach out to your lawyer and just say, hey, lawyer, I'm about to email the VC you probably see a lot of these. Is this appropriate? 
Is this a good way of doing it? You know, you don't have to do this alone. I think reading this book will be very helpful. I think right. doing research on the internet. Don't email carpet bomb VCs. Send them personalized, targeted emails. If you're going to send out 500 of them, that means you have to spend a week doing it. And that's just the process. Right. Otherwise, it doesn't help you to send out 5,000, you know, generic. You can send emails. 5 million. Right. Not going to get a response. Right. Okay. I'm going to combine the next two sections. No often means no. And don't ask for referral if you get for no. They're a little, I think they're a little strict here with the their words and they don't have a lot of space. So they don't take a lot of time to discuss this. Yes. If, if the VC says no, then do not email them back and say, but what about this? Or what if I change these terms? However, you can use that as an opportunity to say, okay, I got it. This isn't in your sweet spot. Is there something I could have done better? Or when would it be in your sweet spot? I think there's an opportunity to learn there. Now, I'm going to caveat that. And I think Aaron's drooling to, to pick this up. I'm going to caveat that by saying you got to read their email back. Because if they came back and it was a quick, harsh no, then you probably want to move on from them. But if they leave it somewhat open-ended, if it looks like they say something like, this isn't a right fit for us at this time, or this isn't a right fit for us because of X, Y, Z, then I think that opens up a window to say, well, what about, can I call you in six months? Or do you have any advice for me? No, that's exactly. I mean, I was just going to say, I wrote a blog post about this a couple of years ago, which was basically, no doesn't always mean no. Most of the time, it means not for me. But you can take that no and learn something from it. Why didn't they like it? Is it was it a problem with the pitch? Is it a problem with the technology? Is it not in their wheelhouse? Are you too early for the uh, for the investor? You know, there are a lot of things that you can learn um, by asking the right questions after they say no. You know, if we were to list all the reasons why an investor might say no to your product, you could have wrong stage. They don't like that. They don't understand the industry. Maybe you're not product market fit. They didn't like you. They don't like the way you approach them. Some of those things we can eliminate, right? A well-crafted email or knowing how to get introductions, you can eliminate this part of the no that comes from they don't like the way that you reached out to them. You know, that they don't like you, I think, over an email, unless you've got a really bad reputation online, over an email, it's probably hard to find you. So again, that goes to what your crafted email looks like. When you're, are you sending these things Sunday at 9 a, you know, at 9 a.m. when they, these guys are checking their phones all the time. Right. When they're going to church, probably not the best time, right? Yeah. They send these things during the work day or maybe on a Sunday night or something like that. You can be strategic about those sorts of things. If you're too early, that's fine. Then that is a problem we can fix and we can target other funds and start narrowing down. Okay, investor. Okay, fund. What stage are you looking at? And let's just target the ones that make sense to us. So you want to eliminate or understand what the objections are, eliminate the ones you can eliminate, and then focus on the ones you can't eliminate and make sure you get in touch with the right people. And eventually one of them will be interested in talking to you. You know, Aaron, this book is really written towards venture, right? Towards later stage dealing with a VC. So while all these tools and tricks are important, if you're out raising friends and family money, you can probably put together a little longer email. You know, we get clients of ours who copy us on their friends and family email. And it's a, it's a novel. Hey, yeah. here's where I am. Here's my idea. Here's all the things I've done. Here's what I think. Here's what I need your help. That's okay for friends and family, right? Right. If you're sending it to an angel network, it can be super short and curt. Dear angel network, this is what I do. When, how do I apply? And I feel like a lot of angel networks have a form on their Correct. website where you just go fill out the form and it sends them the email. So you got to know your audience. And I will piggyback on that and say, don't hit your friends and family up for investments at holidays, at family right. gatherings, at parties, at that just makes it a little bit awkward and and you you don't want to strain the relationship. 
So try to keep that separate. I got copied on one from a client of ours last week and the client had sent it to me a week in advance and said, hey, here's what I'm thinking about doing. I know this is a big deal because I'm going to go out and ask my friends for money. And he wanted to raise 200 grand and he's got he's got a nice network, right? He said, this is a big deal. So I really want to do this right. So he sent it to me. We went, we went through it and I said, sit on it for a few days and make sure you're still coming. And he did. And he sent out a week later and I, a week later and I think he's getting good feedback on it. But you know, you, you're going to approach your friends and family a little bit differently. So the stuff they're having here and in the book, I feel like Aaron, you and I try to relate this to all different stages. Right. Realize that the book is mainly focused on venture, which would be most likely an A round. Yeah, you know, you raise a, a couple later. million dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, A or later. So keep that in mind. Okay, moving on through the book. They said, don't be a solo founder. We absolutely agree with that. One is a very lonely number. Two is better. Three seems to be best. If you're going to have two, if you're 50-50, that can be very difficult. If you're two guys and you're two-thirds, one-third, or three-quarters, one-quarter, that's fantastic. That usually works really, really well. But don't be a solo founder. Uh, pretty easy one to understand. And then don't overemphasize patents. Now, I want to circle back to the point Aaron made about NDAs. If you have a piece of technology that's really incredible, then get a patent on it if it's patentable. But at that point in time, then that's it. You've got a patent, great. I have a patent is the answer to a question. It's not the feature of a presentation. Yes. Right? It's the answer to how are we going to protect your technology or what's your moat, people will say. Yeah. Well, and a patent is not a company. Right. A patent is just a tool or an arrow in your quiver that you use to build a very successful company. And it's how you execute and um, perform with that patent that's going to determine whether or not you're a success or not. Man, do I love it when I'm in a pitch meeting and the investor goes through his pitch and he hasn't mentioned a patent. And then the first investor wants to pop off and say, oh, yeah, well, your competitor is going to do this or how are you going to do this? And the investor calmly says or flips to a slide yeah. says, well, actually, we have two patents issued. Right. And that's how we're protecting the technology that shows the investors that, you know, what's critical as a founder, how to protect your IP. But you also understand, like Aaron said, a patent is not a company. So I'm not going to get up here in my pitch meeting. I only have six minutes or seven minutes and talk about my patent. Again, the patent is the answer to a question. It is not the main feature of the presentation. All right, Aaron. So raising money the right way. Key takeaways. What do you think? Be yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't do it alone. Oh, that's a good one. Let's expand on that a little bit. Don't do it alone. Just meaning, get your talk to your attorney about yeah. it. Run through your rehearse your pitches with your co-founders, with your mom, with your friends, whatever. Reach out to your advisors for connections for networking. Also, if you are one of several co-founders, make sure you're picking the right co-founder to to do your pitches. It's it is not. In everybody's wheelhouse, it's not everybody's strength to go out there and pitch and take meetings and and talk to investors about their company or their product. There has never been a VC who got turned off because the CEO was not the one doing the pitching. Right. right. Put yeah. the best pitch man up there. As a CEO, there are certain skills you need to exude. Standing in front of a room with a bunch of investors is not one of them. Right. Okay. The point I want to make is the one you made at the very beginning is this is a process. This is part of a process. I feel like we've seen enough of these things, at least for seed stage, there's a formula to it. Right. And so so here's some of those inputs into that formula. Have your corporate legal in place. It just makes life so much easier. Building a pitch deck and building a business plan is about the input, not the output. It's about 
the long hours, it's the time at night and on weekends that you're spending on this thing, crafting your plan. Your pitch deck might start at 25 slides. That'd be fantastic. Even better, you're going to get it down to seven. In synthesizing those 25 slides down to seven, those are the inputs. So I 100% agree with Aaron. This whole thing is a process. Every day, you're just getting a little bit and a little bit further along. Most of the days, you're getting better. Some days, not. But your company's getting a little, little further, little by little, getting further along. I think really critical. All right. Good one today, Aaron. That's chapter 12, raising money the right way. We will be back next week to discuss chapter 13. In closing, we have show notes listed on our website, VelaWoodLaw.com forward slash blogs, or just click on blogs, and you can see this Venture Deals Chapter 12 review, and you'll see the show notes there. Also, there's a link in the iTunes episode description. So if you're listening to this on iTunes, then look at the episode description and you will find a link. Our website is mobile friendly, so you can see all the show notes on your mobile phone. Questions or comments, please email us, podcasts at VelaWoodLaw.com. Follow us on Twitter at VelaWoodLaw, on Instagram at VelaWood. And then please share with your friends, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. This is the Velawood Office Hours podcast. Five stars. Five stars. Only five stars. Yeah. Thank you. The Velawood podcasts are recorded in our Dallas office in Mockingbird Station. You can find all of our podcasts, including Office Hours, Three Things, and Silicon Valley Review on the iTunes Store. For questions, comments, or suggestions, email us at podcasts at